Amen. All right, what's up, Salt Company? If you do not know, my name is Colin, um, and it is such a privilege to be here. I am on staff with Salt Company. I primarily work at uh, Salt St. Paul, but I was a graduate of the University of Minnesota, and it is fun to be on stage teaching out of the Bible because I was so formed in the seats that you guys are sitting in right now. I was incredibly changed during my time at Salt Company, so it's super fun to be back. It's fun that I don't have to tell you guys to turn to Philippians 2, because Valina already did that, so thank you, Valina. Um, also, side note before we jump in, um, go on the spring break trip if you aren't signed up, and if you are signed up, I am very jealous. Tony and Abby have been talking about it. It is going to be so fun, so if you're going, I'm pumped for you. If you're not going, get signed up. It's going to be awesome. Um, all right, Philippians 2, we're going to jump right in. We got quite a bit to cover. Um, so if you're new to your Bible, which we all once were, your Bible's broken up by, by chapters and verses. It gives you these nice like headings that tell you what the next paragraph or couple paragraphs is going to be about, which is super helpful, really nice. But Paul didn't actually write those, right? So, so this is a letter Paul writes to the church of Philippi. Paul doesn't write those. So what I want you guys to get into the framework of thinking is, is Paul is writing one letter and he's going to communicate ideas throughout this letter. He's going to build on top of ideas that he has already communicated. So last week, Jordan preached on to live is Christ and to die is gain. So we're going to continue, continue to build off that idea. We're going to continue to build off the hype of the last few weeks. Like, if you guys didn't go to the conference, we're going to keep talking about it. I'm sorry but you should have gone. Um, but if you did go, Mark and Jake talked about, talked about having this holy ambition for God, right? Pursuing a life of holiness. And then, and then Jordan, he's rolling with the hype. He's talking about to live is Christ and to die is gain, right? We're, we're building up this hype, and I'm just going to keep it going, right? We're talking about the great life. This is what Paul's going to get practical with today. He's talking about the great life. This is the great life. So some of you are probably thinking, all right, we're going to talk about how to be successful or how to make a lot of money because that's what the great life is. Or maybe you're thinking, he's talking about faith. He's talking about heroes of the faith, people that do crazy things, go, go everywhere for the name of God, right? Moses, David, Paul, we're talking about the great life. So here Paul goes. Here's what he says. This is what the great life is. Have humility. Just humble yourself. Count others as more significant than yourself. The great life isn't you elevating yourself. The great life is you humbling yourself. All right, so this is the idea that we are going to run with all night, is, is the humble life is worth living. The humble life is worth living. All right, here's what I thought about this. I did a little research 10 years ago, 10 years ago to this, almost to this day, Netflix Traded, it's stock, traded for $9.66. Today, it trades for $373 and some, a few odd cents, but with that much growth, I figured the cents weren't worth writing. Um, but if you knew, if you lived in 2010 and you just knew that Netflix was going to grow 3,800% on its stock, what would you do? Here's what I would do. If I was in your seat, here's what I would do. I'm driving out of school, and I'm putting $20,000 into Netflix stock. 
or if you're going to school for more than a few years, it's more than $20,000. I'm selling my car. I'm biking everywhere. I'm maybe moving to Iowa to decrease my cost of living. Like, I am living a humble life. Why, why am I, I going to live a humble life? Why would you live a humble life? Because you know that you're going to get a 3,800% return on your investment. Here's what I'm saying to you, is that the humble life will give you an infinite eternal return on your investment. The humble life will give you an infinite eternal return on your investment. Following Jesus, it's worth it. It's, it's worth it. It's so beyond worth it. When we humble ourselves, we actually get the mind of Christ. That's what we're going to see today. And our lives get a lot better. Our humility would give us the purpose that we are searching for. And it would be worth it. All right. So here's how we're going to see it. We're first going to see the humility of Christ, the working out of our salvation, and then how it's all worth it in the end. So point one, the humility of Christ. Verse five. So if you've got your Bible open, turn there. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. All right, a few observations. There's things we see in the text. Jesus was God in the flesh. Jesus being God, out of the necessity of being God, he's always existed, right? So God the Father wasn't just chilling in heaven one day and was like, yo, I want a son, I'm going to name him Jesus. Jesus has always existed with the Father and the Spirit in heaven. Like, they're, they're chilling, they're holy, they're glorious. It's amazing, right? This is amazing. It's just sheer awesomeness in heaven. So, I, I was thinking through this, and, and in Exodus, the book of Exodus, Moses is talking with God, and Moses is like, God, I want to see your face, which is a pretty bold thing, in, in my opinion. But, God is like, kind of says, okay, not really, but kind of. And, and walks by Moses, but, but God is so holy, so glorious that he has to cover Moses' face when he walks by. Like, this is the reality that Jesus has lived in. That amount of holiness. That you can't even gaze at it. So, a, a room of, of really good-looking people. You really are, but not in comparison to like the glory of God, right? You guys are fine looking, but the glory of God, like God put on flesh. Think of the humility of God stepping out of that reality and into the reality of human flesh. It's crazy. Okay, so he lives and, he, and he's perfectly righteous. Everything God willed, commanded, and suggested, Jesus did fully. He was the law. If you want to live an obedient life, imitate Jesus. Okay, verse 6 says, Paul says, he did, not account, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So, so here's what he's saying. He's saying he was divine. He's fully divine. But Jesus putting on the flesh, him still being divine, every person he walked by should have fallen flat on their face and worshiped to Jesus. 
Every person, everywhere, anyone he counted should have fallen flat on their face worshiping Jesus. So when I say he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, I'm not saying that he gave up divinity. Jesus was divine on earth. But what I am saying is he humbled himself enough to walk with humans, which is crazy. Okay, keeps going. He becomes obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Right, God, God wanted him to die, and this is, this is a weird idea, but we're going to work it out later. But here's what I want you to hear is that, is that death was the mode of obedience. It was not the master of Jesus. Okay, so, so I want you guys to remember that the death was just the mode of his obedience, not the master over Jesus. So the divinity of Jesus, his righteousness, his perfection, meant he's the only person in human history that actually didn't deserve to die. But instead, he took on death. Do you see the love and the humility of Jesus? Jesus counted you and me as more important than himself because he did not lack, but we did. He was not in need, but we were. All right, here's how I thought about this. I was, I was on a Twitter like a couple months ago, and I saw a tweet from Coach Patino. Okay, so if you don't know, Coach Patino is the coach of the Gophers. You should know that. It's your basketball team. But anyways, um, he's, coaching, he's coaching his five-year-old son. I don't know if you've seen five-year-olds play basketball recently. They're five-year-olds, you know. They They struggle. So Coach Patino, who's used to coaching some of the best athletes, basketball players in the coach of Minnesota, he has absolutely no business coaching five-year-olds, right? Like, he's teaching five-year-olds the basics. They easy, I don't even know if five-year-olds play on 10-foot hoops. I doubt they do. Um, maybe they do. Maybe you know better than me. But why does Coach Patino, who has no business coaching five-year-olds, coach his son Jack? He, humbled him, he humbles himself because he loves his son Jack, right? You would say, yes, of course he's coaching his son Jack. He, he has no business coaching five-year-olds, but he loves Jack. Okay, this is, this is the same with Jesus. Jesus radically humbles himself because he loves us. Jesus doesn't, didn't deserve the cross, right? But he, but he took the cross. Jesus was the only person in human history that has lived a life that qualified him not to go to the cross. But God instead says, you're the only one qualified to stand in the place of sinners. The humility of Jesus. We see the humility of Jesus in his love. But like I said, death was not the master over Jesus. All right, we're going to keep working. Verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Guys, Jesus did not stay dead. For, so he, he rose 40, three days later, excuse me, then lived on the earth for 40 days. Send it into heaven. And because of who Jesus was, because of what Jesus did, because of his victory over death, his righteousness, and his divinity, Jesus reigns. 
right? That, that's what we see right here. He's exalted. He was highly exalted and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Jesus reigns. He reigns right now over every area of our lives. But, I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but I so quickly fall back into thinking, well, maybe, maybe one day I'll fully submit my life to Jesus. Right? Like, maybe one day I'll give him everything. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to give you this part of my life, Jesus. Here, here's this part of my life, but, but don't look over there. Maybe from the conference, here's what you're thinking. I'm willing to move to Columbus, Ohio. Sign me up. I'm going. But God, just don't look at my bank account. That, that's, kind of, that's for me. That's, that's not for you. Or maybe you come back and you're like, I am going to share the gospel with everyone in my class. But I'm not going to move. Like, I, I like Minnesota. Minnesota's really comfortable. I, I'm going to stay here. I'll, I'll give you part of my life, Jesus. I'll surrender part of my life to your authority, but I won't surrender all of my life to your authority. That's not the way it is. Jesus reigns over every single portion of your life. We need to submit every single portion of our life to the authority of Jesus. So, maybe some of you, maybe some of you have never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never given Jesus the reins to your life. I just want to encourage you. That is the best decision you will ever make. We will all submit to the authority of Jesus one day. That's what what the Bible is saying. That's what Paul is saying. We're all going to submit to the authority of Jesus one day. I'd encourage you, just do it today. It's the best decision you'll ever make. Okay, for some of you, you have submitted to the authority of Jesus. Maybe, maybe at conference you're like, again, I'm submitting to the authority of Jesus. It's all for you, Jesus. And then two weeks later, that looks nice. Maybe I'll buy myself something new. I'm not saying buying yourself something new is, is bad, but, but we're not submitting our lives fully to Jesus. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we're kind of off that retreat high. We're off the conference high. We need to remind remind ourselves. We need to submit all of our lives to Jesus. Okay, so how do we respond to this? Paul's going to tell us. Point two, the work of your salvation. Verse 12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only, oh, hold on, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. All right, side note, pause. How, so Paul is not saying this is how to become saved. I just want to clarify that. Paul is not saying that we have to work all these things to become saved. He's saying how to work out your salvation. So so how does Paul define working out our salvation? With obedience. If you rightly respond to the gospel and recognize that Jesus is king of your life, your response will be obedience, and that will be the best life that you could live. But I think a lot of us still aren't satisfied because we have this weird, like, theological idea we're, we're dealing with here, right? Work out your own salvation, for it is God who works in you. I'm like, Paul, bro, you gotta tell me, is it is it me working out my salvation or is, is God 
working in me? Paul would look at me and say, yes. Right? It, it's, both, it's both of it. Paul, Paul is saying that, that we need to work out our salvation. Well, why are we working out of our salvation? It's with, it's with fear and trembling that any change that happens is, is because of the sovereignty of God. So yes, we have to work out our salvation, but, but we're not in control of the change. But if we do nothing, we're probably not going to change. So Paul's telling us to show up. To show up, to give our lives. To give our lives to the working out of salvation. To give our lives to knowing the beauties of Jesus. To give our lives as a response to the cross to be imitators of Christ. Let's look back at verse 5. Right? He says, Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. Okay, so verse 5 is before he describes the humility of Christ. He's saying, you have the mind of Christ in Christ Jesus. You have that humility in Christ Jesus. So the whole point is to have the mind of Christ through Christ. We need to be humble like Christ is humble. Because we are needy people. Everyone in this room, everyone in this room is a needy person. We're not in control. We can't control the change in our life. We need God to work in order to change. The only way we can live a new life is when we trust that Jesus has given us a new life. But we still need to work out that new life. We can't just sit back and be passive. We need to work out that new life. We need to work out that new identity that we have. Now, now God can use little pieces of our life to do crazy things. He can. He can use little pieces of our lives to do crazy things. More often than not, I see God use people who are totally, utterly surrendered to him in every area of their lives, and he uses them to start movements. All right. Still not satisfied. I'm not either. It's, we're, we're living in this tension of, is it God that works? Is it, is it us that works? Here's, here's how I thought about this. Here's how I thought about this idea. There are three guys. Three guys in three separate fields. All three of them. Their life mission is to plant a forest. Okay? Guy number one walks into the field. Life mission is to plant a forest. He has one seed in his hand. And he throws it up. Before the seed even hits the ground, he turns around, he walks away, he says, God, plant a forest. I'm coming back in 50 years. Okay, guy number two. Guy number two comes a little more prepared. He comes with a shovel, got a, got a watering can, digs a hole, plants the seed, covers it with soil, waters it. Waters it every week for the next 50 years. Every week he comes back, he says, he says God, plant a forest. Use this seed and plant a forest. Guy number three. Guy number three, his life mission is to plant a forest. Here's what he does. He sells everything that he has. He sells everything that he has and he invests in farming equipment. And he works the soil and he plants the seeds and he builds himself a house next to the field and he works it every single day. Right? His life mission is to see God plant a forest. But, but every night before he goes to bed, every night he go, before he goes to bed, he says, God, I have no idea how, how to turn seeds into trees. I can care for a seed, I can care for a tree, but I have no idea how to turn a seed into a tree. Only you can do that. Help me to wake up and care for the field that you have provided. 
in 50 years, who's going to see the forest? Maybe all of them, right? God can do work in mysterious ways. God, number one, may come back in 50 years and see a forest. I don't know. Maybe none of them. I don't know. But if we were betting people, I'm guessing, unless you're super irrational, you're putting your money on guy number three. You're saying guy number three is going to see a forest because he sold his life for the sake of seeing a forest grown. He doesn't know how to do it. He himself cannot turn seeds into trees, but he sold his life to see God turn seeds into trees. I think everyone in this room gets, what, gets where I'm going with this. If we want to see God do amazing things in our life, we need to so radically humble ourselves and say, you take it all. God, take it all. I'm giving my entire life to the working out of my salvation because I want to see you do crazy things. We need to show up and trust that God's going to move. All right, so what does obedience look like? What does it look like to pursue obedience? How can I see God start to work in my life? Paul's going to continue. Verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry. Um, so, here's the thing. We have, to, we have to change before we can be the change. Right? He's saying, you will shine like lights in the world when you become obedient. Okay, before that, it says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Paul is saying that we need to work. We need to do this work in order to live out our identity as children of God, as children of God without blemish. We need to, we need to do the work. Paul then says, you will shine in the world. Your holiness, your set-apartness, your differentness will stand out in a world that is so dark. Paul says your influence will come when you give yourself over to be influenced by the one who's worthy. When we are influenced by Jesus, that is when we start to influence others. All right, earlier in chapter 2, Paul says, complete my joy... By being of, this is verse 2, sorry, if that's helpful to follow along. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in, in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Right, so back to conference. You have this, this holy ambition for God, which is awesome. But what does Paul tell us pursuing holiness looks like? Like, what is, what, how does he spell that out? I, I want him to tell me where to move, what people to reach, but instead he says, don't grumble and complain. Be blameless and innocent. Count others as more significant than yourselves. 
So how, how are you guys doing at that? How are you guys doing at, at pursuing holiness as Paul defines? What areas of your life do you guys complain about? Maybe it's your, your roommate. It's your connection group. It's just showing up to connection group. Hate it. That's what you grumble, right? The people in your connection group. Leaders showing up to U.S. Bank. That teacher, that class, that injury. Or how, how are you doing as counting others as more significant than yourself? Right? Serving, serving someone, maybe, maybe your roommate or the unbeliever, and then not expecting anything in return. I'm counting them as more significant than myself. So here's my question for you. Where can you start applying this this week? Or tonight, or tomorrow, right? I, I think we can start tonight. No grumbling and complaining. We're quick to grumble and complain. I am at least. I know I'm very quick to grumble and complain. But Paul's saying, you want a holy life, just don't grumble and complain. Be blameless and innocent. Because <laughs> here's what I'm saying. You guys want to go on a church plant. You, you want to move across the world. You want to do great things for God, which is awesome. But holiness is more formed in the mundane decisions in your life than it is in the monumental moves in your life. Holiness is, is more formed in the mundane decisions in your life than it is the monumental moves in your life. So here's how Paul ends. Verse 16. <clears throat> so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So here's what Paul's saying. I don't want to have wasted my life. My entire life has been about helping you love, follow, pursue, and submit to Jesus. And I don't want to have wasted it, but that's a life worth living. That's what he's saying. So that's point three, is that it is worth it. Living a humble life is worth it. So here's what he says, verse, verse 17. Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. All right, so at this point in Paul's life, I think he is insane. Right? He's in prison. Death is almost imminent. He's talking about his death and he's saying, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Like, he's commanding them to rejoice. Right? He's not like, I'm struggling to rejoice, but you should rejoice. He's like, I am rejoicing. You too should rejoice. Here's what's true in Paul's life, is that his joy is in faith, not circumstances. And that's what he wants to be true about the church at Philippi too. That's what he wants to be true about us. Because I think I don't think Paul's just saying this about himself. I think he writes it to the church at Philippi. It's in the Bible because, because we should adopt this attitude. Because we need to adopt the attitude that Paul has. Right? He says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's saying, I might die, but I rejoice because I have Jesus. Jesus. 
He's He's saying, I've started to see the mind of Christ, the humility of Christ, the obedience of Christ influence my life. That's what he's saying. He's so in love with Jesus that he counts the Philippians knowing Jesus more important than life itself. And he's rejoicing in that. All right, let's go back to the text. Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. So drink offering is was an offering on top of an animal sacrifice. So like wine on top of an animal sacrifice. So a drink offering was an additional an addition to an offering. It was not enough by itself. It was too small. So here's what he's saying. My offering, my life is, is not that significant. It's not all that significant. But my offering is worth it. My offering is not all that significant. My life is not all that significant, but it's worth it. Because you, when you humble yourself, you'll become the person you actually want to be. Because though his life is not significant, he's living for significance. And we all want to be a people that live for significance. Everyone in this room wants to live for something greater than themselves. It's just how you do it. It's money, it's success, it's popularity. Everyone wants to live a significant life. Paul wants to live a significant life. He's saying, I don't want to run in vain or labor in vain. Right? Paul wants a significant life, but he's saying, my life isn't significant, but what I'm living for is significant. That's what Paul's saying. And if you guys don't know the story of Paul... Paul looked for significance, like us, in the wrong places. Paul looked for significance in in doing all the right things. I'm I'm just going to do all the right things, and I'll be significant. So what is it for you? Is it doing all the right things? Is it having all the friends? Is it trying to gain the approval of others? Is it money? Is it status? What do you think will bring you significance? How does Paul find his significance? How does Paul find a life that is significant? In laying down his life, in humbling himself for the sake of the gospel. Why did humility give him a significant life? A life of significance. Two reasons. One, because Paul got the mind of Christ. Right? That's what he's saying. He's like, I've started to see that I have the mind of Christ. I'm humbling myself. Two, because he saw God use his humility to help others know Jesus. He got the mind of Christ and he saw God use his humility to have others come to know Jesus. Paul offered his life. He said, God, use my life. So, company, we have to offer our lives and work 
to live out the humility displayed by Jesus. And God will use that to transform us and transform the lives of those around us. So, where is Paul at in this story? Paul is about to cash in on his Netflix investment. Right? He's like, I gave up everything. I gave up everything, but I'm about to cash in on the investment. I've started to see how sweet the investment was. You know what made the investment even sweeter? Paul's like, being rich alone isn't even that cool. You can't have your friends do anything because you're so much richer. He's saying, it's sweet. It's sweet because I convinced my friends to invest in the same thing. My friends started to invest in Netflix stock with me. And I'm about to cash in. We're all cashing in on our 3,800% growth. Right? But Paul's not talking about a 3,800% growth. Paul's talking about an infinite, eternal growth. Laying down my life was worth it. That's what he's saying. When we humble ourselves, when we pour ourselves out for others, when we count others as more significant than ourselves, we get Jesus and we bring others along for the ride. But here's the thing. I see this in my life. It's like I'm investing 10%. I'm giving a little bit. I'll give you some, but not all. What, guys, what are you guys refusing to invest in Jesus? Refusing to just lay it down. Be like, it's all for you. I want to see you grow. I want to see more of you and less of me. The road to the great life, the road to the great life happens not when we elevate ourselves, but when we lay ourselves down. Salt Company, we have a life of significance that is available to us. It's available and waiting. We just have to get back on the altar. Get back on the altar. Say, God, every moment is yours. Every place I can move is yours. My money is yours. It's all for you, Jesus. No more trying to control little parts of my life while I give over some parts of my life. No more pursuing holiness in some areas of my life, but not in other areas of my life. God, say, God, here I am. Use it all. Use the brokenness Use the shame, use the pride, and work that out of me. Start to redeem that. Guys, when we lay down our lives, we will see God begin to redeem and restore that which has been broken, and he will use it to do sweet things. Let's pray. Father, that's, that's my prayer. That's, that's our prayer is that you would help us to lay down our lives, that you would help us to give up the things that our flesh desires in order to count others as more significant than ourselves, to be holy and blameless, that we would pursue that life, we would pursue holiness and the mundane decisions, and that you would be faithful to change us, Father. That is our prayer, is that, is that as you help us lay down our lives, you would be faithful to change us, Father.
We want to know you. We want to know you and we want to spend eternity with you. We want to know that it's going to be worth it, that giving up everything is going to be worth it. Father, we love you and we trust you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.